This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, that's a nice sweep you got there. It'd be a shame if somebody walked four in a row to tie the game and then things ended with a walk-off sack fly, but what are the odds of that? This is the Selby is Godcast. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back to Spencer at the one and two. Get the ball. Subscribe to Selfie is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Zach, the final inning of the doubleheader on Sunday it was one of those situations where you don't know how much credit to give the hitters for being patient and just letting the pitcher unravel and then explode right in the middle of the hill. And how much do you just say, hey, Tyler Chatwood, maybe throw a strike. Either way, that series was going in such a way that as an Indians fan, I think you'll take it. My, what a Some- finale that was. Sometimes when you're scuffling as an offense, digging through all of your advanced reports and your notes, trying to figure out the formula to get going, and then you come across the page that says, well, just draw walk after walk after walk after walk, and then hit a walk off, and that's the recipe for success. So who knows? I mean, this, this offense is – the woeful performances are not surprising you look at the lineup every day and you've got Harold Ramirez, a guy who was a waiver claim a couple months ago, batting fourth. You've got Yu Chang and Jake Bauer still in there and the catching position that doesn't offer much at the plate. So this isn't surprising, but man, when you can eke out wins like that, I guess you take it. <laughs> yeah, anyway, you can get him. Welcome to the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ Zupi. He is Zach Meisel. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, those are the main places, but really we're everywhere that you listen to your podcasts. Thank you to everyone that supports the pod over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Godcast. It is those friendly folk that keep the, the free one coming your way. So thank them. And as a reward, they get those midweek episodes for a dollar per episode. So if you haven't joined us and the fun that we're having over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Godcast, where you is need, need to get to right now and come join the fun. It's, so it's not surprising. Tyler Chatwood throughout his career has had many, many games in which he's just walked the entire neighborhood. In fact, I was looking before we started. I've been there. Uh, we started the, the podcast and I had even forgotten. I, I know he had had his issues when the Cubs signed him coming over from Colorado. The, the Cubs thought, oh, we can fix the command. This guy will be a steady part of this rotation for a while. And in 2018, he actually recorded more walks per nine innings than strikeouts, 8.25 walks per nine innings. So that can be part of your game plan when you face a guy like that is you're going to be patient. You're going to make him try to get it in the strike zone. And a lot of those pitches were right on the corner, could 
probably gone either way, especially in that I think Bradley Zimmer at bat. He demonstrated some some pretty keen patience. So I'll give him some credit where it's due for that. But as you said, the way the weekend was going, the way the the Blue Jays swung the bat and they did it early and often in many counts and uh, with <laughs> no regard for human life, as the old LeBron line goes, to come out of it with a win is certainly better than the alternative. Yeah, I keep waiting for the bottom to fall out and for – because you look at the pitching staff and like a lot of these starting pitchers should be a triple-A. And part of the issue is like they come into the season and they were really banking on McKenzie and either Logan Allen or Cal Quantrill and it just hasn't worked out, right? So you, you've had two spots – and we talked about this last week over on, on Patreon, but like you've had two spots that you're basically just shuffling guys in and out trying to find – Someone who seems like they belong or can fake it for a little bit, but no one's been able to do that. And so like in an ideal world, I think McKenzie would be pitching a triple A because he certainly has things to work through. Hentges would be pitching a triple A because he, he needs that and he's never really done it. Um, I think Mejia would still be pitching a triple A. Um, and, and so you've got all these guys pitching in the majors and it's like somewhat out of necessity, especially with Plesak out. So it's like, Man, you need the offense to carry you, but without Framil Reyes, that's really difficult. It's already difficult to begin with. And so I keep waiting for that six, seven game losing streak that just kind of railroads them. And and just, you know, it, it should be, ex- I keep expecting that, I think, because it's such a young team. Because you look up and down the roster and it's like, there's no one like playing out of their minds to keep this team afloat. And yet here they are just finding weird ways to win games or beating up on teams like the tigers that they are supposed to do that to. So somehow I feel like I say this every few days when we record a new episode, somehow this <laughs> team is, you know, in a decent spot record wise. And you can put the world's best explorers and um, scientists on the case. And I don't know that they'd be able to crack the code. Yeah, I was sort of dismissive of the way the Indians played against the Tigers because, yeah, it's Detroit. That's what you're supposed to do. Then Detroit goes and kicks the Yankees' ass over the weekend. So really, the whole world is topsy-turvy. That might play into a hypothetical question I have for you later, but we're not quite there. The thing about this offense is it's through not just stretches. I mean, prolonged stretches. It's brutal. But the way that they – the type of offense that they are – you see a lot of teams swing and miss a lot, and it can be dull to watch that. Guys just trek up to the plate, back to the dugout several pitches later. But the Indians put the ball in play, so there's so many that talk about wanting to have a more exciting brand of baseball where the ball is put in play. Well, the Indians are hanging around the, the however you want to look at it, top tier or bottom third as far as strikeout percentage. They don't punch out a lot. But they hadn't been rewarded for that. The The type of contact that they have had for the most part this year, uh, while it was a little bit off kilter early in the season, I don't look at the, the batting average on balls in play here and go, oh, man, well, they're just getting killed there. No, I mean, I think they've pretty much earned where they're at as far as offensively. And the thing that makes it somewhat concerning, as brutal as this offense can be, is with Franmil out, and if Jose Ramirez just isn't nuclear hot, where do the improvements come from? Where do the runs come from? And I know we've talked a lot about the need for Cesar Hernandez and, and Eddie Rosario to get it going. Zach, I would feel so much more enthusiastic, not just about the now, but the direction this team is going, if they could just get 
one of the younger hitters to step mm-hmm. in and really lock in for a nice prolonged stretch. And we mentioned that a little bit at the end of the, the Patreon episode. We didn't get to expand on it too much. But the reason why you know, we, we've talked about this team being fun and how it can be interesting to to see what young players are going to do with the opportunities they're given. It would be so much, I think, more fun as a fan to watch this team if you could see somebody that you go, yep, that's part of the future. And that might be Josh Naylor, and it might be Owen Miller, and it might be Harold Ramirez. Wait, what? But, but <laughs> you know, if it were one of those guys really starting to, to rake, I think it would be better to – to live through some of the the days where it is tough to watch this offense. But unfortunately, there's just not a lot of that yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking right now at the individual stats and you look at WRC Plus to just get an idea of comprehensively what sort of offensive season these players have had. And, you know, we know 100 is league average. And so anything above that means you're an above average hitter or better. And anything below that means the opposite. Jose Ramirez is at 135, and Framil Reyes is at 140. And so those guys have been really good hitters this year. That's it. <laughs> I mean, Jordan Luplo, incredibly, I know people look at the batting average and scoff, but he's drawn so many walks, like a Carlos Santana-type season there, and he's hit for a bunch of power, seven home runs. I know a lot of those are early. That he, I mean, his OPS is 770, which is pretty good. And his WRC plus is 116. So he's been a 16% better than league average hitter. That is it. And Luplo's sideline now. So so everybody else is below 100. And it's not just like, all right, they've got a bunch of average hitters. I mean, it's like when your third or fourth best hitter is below league average, that's alarming. And, you know, Cesar Hernandez and Ahmed Rosario are sitting at the top of the order every day, and they're both at 85. Right away, I mean, you've explain this plenty Jose Ramirez is batting really often with nobody on base and I'm at or Eddie Rosario has gotten hot here lately and that's gotten him up to a 76 um Naylor's at 93 um Jake Bowers is at 62 I mean like we've been through a third of the season Jake Bowers is only facing right-handed pitching and he's hitting 194 and his OPS is below 600. It's yeah. like, how much more of this do we need to see? Yeah. Yu Chang, 76 plate appearances, pretty much all with the platoon advantage. And the guy's OPS is like 400. I mean, I, I, like I, we've just reached a point where you're right. It's like we're really reaching to find it, to draw any positive conclusions. And, you know, that's why that's where you get, oh, Harold Ramirez, you can talk yourself into him being maybe a, a part of the fabric of this future roster, but it's like the guy's played 25 games and he's, he's hitting cleanup. Like he, I don't think that's what we envision for him. So I, I think when you look at the schedule, they need to get through the next couple of days. It wouldn't be surprising to see some moves after that. Cause they have three off days coming up. Um, so you won't need like 37 pitchers like they've been carrying lately. And, Maybe that's when you get Bobby Bradley up. Maybe that's when you get Daniel Johnson up. And then maybe you can try to get some young hitter going. It's been painful so far. Well, it's also a little concerning when the team has these things staring them in the face and they're not stupid to this. They know how difficult it has been for this offense to string together hits, put runs on the scoreboard, especially when you lose one of your big boppers. But what does it say about the guys that are behind the guys that are currently up here. And 
more importantly, what the team believes that Bobby Bradley is or Daniel Johnson is. Both of those guys I would like to see get an opportunity and sooner rather than later. As I talked about before with Jake Bowers, even if you make the case that below the surface, there have been times where he should have been rewarded and has not. That is true. But I think we're seeing when he gets to his ceiling, his ceiling is like, okay. (laughs) And that's as good as it might get for some stretches. He's not the sort of guy that carries an offense for a week when he gets hot. That's, I don't think that's ever going to be the type of hitter that he is. So that's, gets, that's they, bothered me because I see people saying like, Hey, you know, I know everyone hates Jake Bowers, but Jake Bowers over his last 24 games or whatever is slashing like 250, 320, 390. And it's like, okay, like that's, that's the arbitrary endpoint you're going to use. Like that's him at his peak. If you remove the absolute worst, that's what you come up with. Like, I, I just, and he's not the only one. I'm singling him out, but it's like I, I'm 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 genuinely shocked that that is still the first base setup. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is because of the injuries. I mean, Framel sidelined, Luplo sidelined, and I think Chang being as just dreadful as he's been and being on the team has actually helped Bowers stick around a little longer too. My goodness, I mean, I like. I just don't know how you watch this offense day in and day out and like aren't don't feel more of a sense of urgency. I think in a vacuum when looking at the players individually, you can see certain things and say, you know, Josh Naylor hanging around 100 WRC plus. That's fine for now. Or even getting a near league average production out of your center fielder and Harold Ramirez, you think, okay, well, that's not awful. The problem is they have too many guys in this offense right now where at their best, they're probably slightly above league average hitters at the moment. That doesn't mean Josh Naylor can't become more than that. You and I have talked for many times on many different shows why we think he could be a fun hitter to hold on to for the next several years. But as of right now, the Indians have a lot of guys that at their best are okay hitters to maybe have hitting 6th, 7th, 8th, or ninth, and right now they're at the top of the lineup where they're guys that they're consistently counting on. And that's that's what makes it painful because I think you're trying to figure out what a baseline is for us. A, a guy like Jake Bowers, let's, what is the baseline of expectation for him? And, and where is when you set that baseline of expectation, then you can sort of look above, okay, so where does he get to when he's super hot and how far does he fall when he's in a slump? And – a guy like Bowers, even if he's at his best, he's what, knocking some singles around the yard, occasionally some doubles, walking, and trying to stay above water <laughs> offensively. Like he's trying to ascend to Casey Kochman. That's <sighs> That ain't it. So maybe Bobby Bradley, looking at the total of their offensive run production, is somewhere near Bowers, but that's he's also the sort of hitter that can – swing and hit the ball over the fence every once in a while and maybe can go on those stretches where for a week they can be real hot and be a 40% above average uh, league average hitter. So that is intriguing to me. Do I think that he is the long-term answer at first base? We talked about this a lot in spring training. I have a lot of skeptical thoughts about that, but do I think he's infinitely more interesting right now than the guy that's playing first base for them? Yeah, I do. And so All of this is to say some of the improvements uh, have to come from certainly within as far as the veterans, but I'm also not sold that they can just turn things over. Like we we discussed Owen Miller for weeks and weeks and weeks. We wanted to see him up here and I am not anywhere close to saying, nope, send it back down because it's not working. 
I think anyone with half a brain knew that it was going to take some time for him to get his footing. And sometimes it takes more than a year for that to happen. If you believe that this guy can be a hitter in the future, he has to get this opportunity right now. If you never let him get that shot, then he's never going to be prepared for that moment. And we're right back into this with talking about all the other players that they have let go and did give an opportunity to and caught on elsewhere. Jake Bowers is long past the point where they should feel bad if they ever have to remove at bats or even go further and boot him off the team. But for a guy like Owen Miller, it's kind of in the same mold as, as Daniel Johnson when he finally gets that shot or Bobby Bradley. It's all going to take time. So I would like to start that clock and see what's going on with those guys because some of the other guys that have been playing at the major league level, as you and I have talked about for weeks now, it's time to try start trying some other things here. I mentioned this the other day, and I've been trying to write a piece that strikes the proper tone, but it's difficult to like. It's difficult to explain. Like the whole point of this season is blending trying to win contention with developing young players, and as I mentioned, like they've had to speed up the development of some of these young pitchers who probably aren't ready, and so that's. First of all, it's counterproductive to winning most of the time. So this is really difficult assignment. It's one that they've backed themselves into, but it's it's difficult. And at some point, you know, you need to learn about Bobby Bradley this year. The dude's 25. Like it's it's time. You got to learn one way or the other. You got to learn about Daniel Johnson, same reason. Um so, you know, it's good that Owen Miller's up here cuz you need to learn about him and also you need to let these guys, like you said, you, you just have to play and it's going to take time. Owen Miller wasn't going to come up and rescue the offense. Bobby Bradley's not going to come up and be the savior. But at some point, there are certain decisions you can make that help both development because what more can Bobby Bradley and Daniel Johnson do at AAA? So help their development by calling them up in the near future. And that might help you with winning too because this offense needs help. Even if you're not sure that the the next line of your depth is going to be better than the, the, what you currently have. You've, you've answered some questions about the guys that you already have up here. So take that answer and don't be afraid to go in a different direction and start answering some questions about some other players. It, it, if at the end of the year, they haven't really given an opportunity to guys like Johnson and Bobby Bradley and the offense did what it has been doing for the entire season, it's going to be tough, even if this team finishes with a winning record, to feel super good about what was accomplished this season. It's weird because you do have guys like Eddie Rosario and Cesar Hernandez that you're waiting and, and continue to to hope are going to get it turned around offensively and you fall back on the track record. But even if they do get things turned around, as we've said before, neither one of those guys is going to be long for this roster talking about years into the future. And it leads me to a little bit of a thought exercise or a hypothetical for you, if you're, if you're willing to indulge me. Always. We know that there are tons of injuries and team, other teams having to dip into their depth. Everybody has had some sort of injury. Contending teams could use some reinforcements, or in some cases, they could use guys to just step in and start. You do have Rosario and Hernandez, two veterans that the Indians signed to – Raise the floor a bit offensively. They haven't done that really, but that was the idea when you signed those guys. A little bit more of a proven commodity compared to what you already had. But I think somewhere in the back of their minds, they thought, if this goes sideways, you have a couple of guys here that you might be able to trade at the deadline and, and maybe get some 
some lottery tickets back. Let's say a team calls the Indians tomorrow and says, Whoa, wait, wait, wait. we're recording this on Sunday. Tomorrow's a holiday. Come on. Well, if you need the upgrade, I don't think you let the holiday stand in the way. Just, just what go. With Chris it. Antonetti's grilling. The, he, the dude was riding a roller coaster signing Edwin Encarnacion. I don't think. Wait, <laughs> no, no, the, no, no, no. That was he was the at ballet. the Little Mermaid. Yes. <laughs> where was where was the when he was at an amusement park? Who did who did they sign or trade for? Yeah, they did something. Man, he's like always doing something, right? <laughs> it's always some bizarre activity. Remember when he did like the he was in with the Blue Angels that one year? Yeah, that's I'm surprised right. That, I'm surprised they didn't make a trade while he was Wait, doing was, backflips in the air. Was he part of the 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 mix of people that Tito got to jump out of the airplane with him? He was, yeah. So I'm surprised they didn't try to get something done in the middle of falling to earth. That's not my point. Anyway. That's not the question. <laughs> Let's say a team does call at any point now, whenever you might be listening to this, and say, we could really use Eddie Rosario. We could really use Cesar Hernandez. And they offer you a, a fair trade. I, I don't have exact names for you, but whatever the case may be. It's just a, a fair trade for a player like that. Would you be willing to accept it? Even with the Indians record and as far as you are into the season, would you be willing to accept that right now? Okay, so here's the thing. What a fair trade, you're not getting much. No, let's like, say you're not gonna get much okay. for those guys in you know, all right. Let me let me July. put some some parameters on it. Let's say it's you get one player back, somebody that you scouted and maybe you really liked in the draft, but you just missed out on them. So there's someone that you had your eye on. It's not like somebody's first rounder, but let's say it's a guy that was a little bit further back in the draft you really liked, but you just you couldn't get your hands on him. And the scouting department's bursting down your door saying, please go get that guy, even though it's a project. This is, I'm surprised I'm saying this. Normally I would say yes, just trade them both because they aren't part of the long-term future. I'm still skeptical that this team is a legitimate contender. I I, I hesitate to do that. Why? Especially with Reyes out. Um, I think I'd be more comfortable trading Cesar Hernandez and just playing Owen Miller at second base every day. And you can use Ernie Clement as your utility guy. You can call up Gabriel Arias pretty soon. Um, you could survive without Hernandez. I, I mean, I do think you're going to feel that loss in the lineup. I know I just said he only has an 85 WRC plus, but um, I mean, Owen Miller's off to a really rough start too. So, but I think I think they need Eddie Rosario right now, and I think it. W- I might answer this differently in a couple weeks. I, I just yeah, sure. I'm asking you right now as the calendar is about to flip to June. Right. And so that's why I think I would say, okay, on Cesar Hernandez, but not yet on Eddie Rosario. Because if you remove Eddie Rosario from that lineup, oh my goodness. And that's, I know he hasn't performed very well, but he's been a lot better lately. He's looked like a middle of the order bat for the last week to 10 days. Um, And I don't, who would you, who would replace him? (laughs) Daniel Johnson? Yeah. Yeah, but you can get Daniel Johnson up here anyway, even without losing Eddie Rosario. Yeah, but now you you don't have anybody standing in the way of just getting somebody consistent at bats. Yeah, but I, you can stop giving consistent at bats to Bowers and Chang, in my opinion. Well, I agree. You also have the DH spot wide open. True, but you can mix in a couple of different guys now. Maybe it's two guys you could maybe he get Johnson and Bobby Bradley into the lineup. I would move Hernandez now. I would wait on Rosario at least until Reyes is back, or until a few weeks from now if the team goes in the tank. 
no, but if they don't, I mean, you, you, if you're in this position, you have to keep, you have to at least make an effort here. Yeah, you do. But also, as you said, these are two guys that are not in the long-term plans. And this is just a hypothetical. So I can make the, the rules, whatever I want them to be. But let's say the team says, this is uh, an exploding offer. This is not one that's going to be there. Can't say in a couple of weeks, come back to me. This is it right now, or I'm making a deal elsewhere. And then both of those guys, they're on the roster for the rest of the year. See, this is getting so far-fetched, though. <laughs> like, I mean, we're talking about Whoa, a rental of a guy who is, who is off to a miserable start. In what universe is someone making you an offer you can't refuse? <laughs> I didn't. Know. This is basically saying like I need to go. Talking about Jake Bowers again for another hour. You're you're saying that like I'm going on a road trip. I need to drive to Chicago tomorrow, and the only car I have is like a 1960, I don't know, Oldsmobile, and it like barely runs. But someone right now is going to offer me thirty grand for it. <laughs> but then I'd have no way to get to Chicago tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, you would have a way to get to Chicago on the shoulders of one Bobby Bradley. Yeah, <laughs> your replacement. You can call him up anyway. Like I, I don't know. I, I think it would send the wrong message too. I know, but, but to me, wrong message. I'm, I'm, you know, you know how I think about this. So what is the long-term health? What's best for the long-term health of the franchise? I think about what makes sense in the long, long run instead of getting caught too much up in something that I don't want to say fluke is the, the wrong word for the record that they have because the, the pitching on some days and clearly the bullpen has helped them get to this point. And it's not like you want to waste that. But I also know that neither one of those guys has, A, helped you too much to this point, and you have the record that you do. And did I say A or or B or 1 or 2? Whatever the second item on this list is, I don't think they're going to be around for beyond this year. Yeah, but you can. there's still enough time. We're still early enough where you can sort of mold this season how you see fit. And look, if they were... 23 and 28 i would say i wouldn't think twice about it you know or if the white Sox were 10 games ahead because they were just unbeatable um they have been lately i mean that might be the case in a few days after the series who knows um but i I just i think it would be too early and then in the realistic world and not tj's la la land you know you're not getting much for this guy anyway let alone what you would get in july i think that would be underwhelming as well especially when you consider these guys are off to rough starts. So, um, no, I, I think you got to keep them just because you can get Bradley and Johnson up here anyway. You don't need to trade Rosario to do that. I'm thinking like in the movie Moneyball where it's like the manager keeps running out a player that, God, just trade them. Trade them and then they can't play them. It's like I'm thinking, if I want to create opportunities to – to get some younger players in there, uh, just clear some of the, the guys that are in their path right now. So I can, from nothing other than just a pure interest standpoint, answer some of these questions. Well, you, you mentioned younger it. players. Can we talk older players for a minute? Uh, I would love to. Because someone is celebrating a birthday on May 31st, and I'm not talking Shane Bieber, and I'm not talking, who is it, Kenny Lofton? It's you. Happy birthday. Oh, Oh, it is. It, it, it is my birthday. That's right. Um, Thank so you. Happy birthday. Do you want to share how old you are turning? 
<laughs> you say that like I should. Is there a reason why I shouldn't? Is that I mean, you need you need to for what I'm about to do. Oh well, if I have to play into your joke, sure. I'm uh, 37. Damn, that's old. So I have a list of 11 players in the majors who are older than you, so that you can oh, feel young. Again. Yes, yes, and one of them, Albert Pujols, just went deep on Sunday. I was ding, wrong. Ding, ding. He's should've, the oldest. Should have the Indians clearly should have picked him up. Yeah. So this list, I mean, you'll see. Like, I was actually just talking to my wife about this because we were talking about. I mean, I was saying how when I was a kid, I remember thinking, "Man, if a player was born in the '70s, they seemed so young back then." Um, most guys were like in the '60s, and then now it's like there are players born in the 2000s, and it just makes you feel ancient. I've got 11 players. There might be more who are older than you, but these are the 11 oldest players in the league. Okay. And, or do you want to guess? Can, can you, how many can you name? Oh, man. There's so do many. You respect your elders. <laughs> there are so many players that I think this just tells you how terrible it is when you think of a player being older than you look and they're 31 and you're thinking, oh, my <laughs> God, I thought that guy was over the hill. <laughs> Shouldn't be playing. That guy can't be playing shortstop anymore. He's ancient. It's the crypt keeper out there in the middle infield. So Pujols was born in January of 1980. He's 41. He is the oldest. Yes. But he also has 670 home runs. Yeah. Between the two of us combined, 670 home runs. Correct. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't think. All right, start start naming some. All right, so second oldest is Rich Hill. Who uh, of course. Is also 41. He turned 41 in March. Um, we've got... Still unbelievable you, that he went on to have the second half of the career that he did after... Do you remember him with in, the Indians? In 2013 in the Indians bullpen, and he was just so very... He was just the left-hander <laughs> that came out to face a lefty every once in a while. He just like always gave up one run. So very um, forgettable. I can't believe this guy still produces the way he does, but Nelson Cruz will turn yeah, 41 right. on July 1st. On my fantasy squad. Uh, mine is not doing very well. This will be the third week in a row where I, and this is our Selby's Godcast League we have with some of our Patreon supporters. It's be the third week in a row where I'm going to be one of the top teams in points, and I've lost two of the three. Un- unbelievable cry about it um i am how about the guy who started the season with the indians well there was oliver perez there is oliver perez who turns 40 in august and ollie i remember talking to him two years ago and he was so excited because the following year was it last year he became the pitcher with the most seasons the mexican pitcher with the most seasons and i know he had a lot of pride in that and we were just talking about his career and his he was came up as this heralded starting pitcher and so with the Padres and then the Pirates and then but with the Padres he made his debut against the Mariners and the first batter he ever faced was Ichiro and so I think he was he was like tw- I think he was 20 years old making his major league debut and Ichiro steps in and he's just like god at that point and Oliver Perez was saying like well I mean what are you supposed to do there like <laughs> um so uh I, I Adam have- Wainwright oh oh yeah Wainwright of course uh, I, turn I, 40. I thought of one. I looked it up and I saw that it actually applies. Joe Smith. Joe Smith. How Joe Smith. He, he is 37 and 69 days currently. Hmm. Joe Smith. Do you know who I am? I'm Joe Smith. What? Um, good dude. Very good dude. And congrats to him on 
what I think 800 appearances, which is just incredible. Yeah. Now at 802, having a, a rough time of it so far in Houston, but yeah, 802 career appearances. Yadi Molina, who will turn 39 and is still catching. What did his knees feel like? I would would guess that he probably can't even feel them anymore. Uh, you got another Twins guy, Jay Happ, who and he, is 38. And he legitimately looks like it. The beard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Silver Fox. Yeah. That's that's the, the downfall of when I'm letting my beard grow out. All the, all the gray and white hairs. Oh, man, that's not good. You know, one way to keep a job through an old age is to just be like decent at your job, but be a side armor. Darren O'Day, 38 years old. Um, he's been around forever. Yeah. And it feels like he's always been in the American League East. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All those years with the Orioles. I know Robinson Cano is, uh, what, suspended for the season, but he's older than you. So, you know, I, I, have you, I mean, you're 37 now. Like, do you feel like you need performance enhancers to maintain your... <laughs> I'm not answering that. <laughs> they're not they're not a sponsor of this podcast yet so i'm not <laughs> answering that fair enough you're willing to pay me sure yes absolutely <laughs> love it so wade miley threw a no hitter in cleveland who was the pitcher to throw a no hitter in cleveland prior to that uh irvin santana irvin santana 38 years old now it's crazy seems like wait is he still pitching well, he, I think at the beginning of the year, he was technically with the Royals. I don't know where he is now. I think he signed a minor league deal. He might be done, but yeah, it seems like just yesterday when he was only 28 and was no hitting the tribe. Now he's 38. And last on this list, he's got you beat by about three months. Well, a year and three months, actually. Oh yeah. Math is hard. How about Justin Verlander? Recovering from Tommy John surgery and says he'll be back next year to pitch at what? 39. So what's, you know, what's you're that? 37 and doing what you're doing with your life. And he's 39 and rehabbing, making a ton of money and looking for the Astros what, what or is, someone else. What is it like getting your arm back in shape at that age? <laughs> so that's just a, a sampling of major leaguers <laughs> who are older than you. Yes. All of them equally ancient as I feel when I get out of bed in the morning. Well, thank you for that. That was an excellent birthday present. Yeah, I, we could have said Julio Franco too. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure he's got to be playing somewhere, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, from really old people to guys just making their debut, Eli Morgan felt really bad for the dude. One to face a team like the Blue Jays that were swinging the bats the way they were, came coming into the series clearly very comfortable, and that's already a tough task for anybody. But also, so many fly balls that probably should have been caught, tracked down. I know Carl Willis, and this is something I never even thought thought of, but he was saying that even the wind being that crazy as it was on Friday, this is a guy that relies on his changeup. And when you're throwing in the bullpen, how does the wind blow compared to how does the wind blow when you're standing on the mound, Zach? Uh, I I've no, I stood on the mound once at Progressive Field. <laughs> well, if, if and you think I don't about think it. it was windy that day. Well, if you think about it, if the wind is blowing in or out on that particular day, if you're in the bullpen, it's cross the way that you're, oh, right, you're typically you're throwing. Perpendicular. So Carl Willis was saying that in the, the, the bullpen, the changeup was moving with such lateral movement that it was one of the best changeups he had thrown at any point this year because the way the wind was blowing, he got on the mound and the wind's blowing, I think it was, was it blowing out? 
<laughs> Where wasn't it blowing? I mean, <laughs> true. I have never seen the flags move that much. And the trees beyond the center field fence, you know, you have those evergreens that are stiff. But the ones beyond that, that are like in Heritage Park, I said they looked like the wacky, waving, inflatable, arm flailing <laughs> tube men. I mean, it was, I've never seen trees like just blowing like this. I mean, the, the wind was just insane. Yeah. So we can talk about the weather and how teams decide to postpone games if you want, but yeah, not well, ideal conditions. For well, you. and I, I asked Eli Morgan that I'm like, you know, when you're a kid and you're dreaming about your major league debut, is this kind of what you had in mind? <laughs> Tongue in cheek, but poor kid. Like that's, yeah, that's what you'll tell your grandkids. one day. Well, to finish the point on what Carl was saying, the changeup is not going to move in the same way that it should when you don't have 50 mile per hour winds. Um, and instead of moving laterally across the strike zone, it instead was just hanging up there for guys to had hit me sign all over it. So uh, not an ideal situation for uh, someone that is going to throw between 89 to 91 miles per hour, especially against a team like that. But the fact that they even played that game, you had Naylor falling down the outfield. I was very surprised that that game continued as long as it did. And it, uh, uh, Hey, to, Blue Jays played fine in it and didn't seem to impact them one bit, but that was just all around a very terrible day and especially a terrible day for Eli Morgan. We all in the press box thought they would just get through five and then call it because these teams, I mean, Toronto had played a doubleheader against the Yankees on Thursday. The Indians knew they had one Monday. They wanted to avoid a doubleheader. So they played through it Friday and then the game keeps going and then to randomly decide to stop it with, what, two strikes on Naylor in the bottom of the seventh? It was just so bizarre. And it was just a delay. Like, they announced delay, yet they removed all the bases. Like, they couldn't put the tarp on the infield because it would blow away or they, they, they wouldn't be able to, like, keep it in place <laughs> to give them time to put stuff <laughs> to keep it down. Imagine just living, I don't know, 15 miles outside of... <laughs> Cleveland, and you wake up, and in the front yard is the tarp from Progress Field. What the hell is that doing here? And so, next thing you know, the game hasn't been called, but like I've got my Zoom screen on my laptop, and up pops Terry Francona's face. I'm like, what is happening right now? So Tito joins a Zoom, and I'm I said I was like, hey, I think this is the first time we've ever gotten an in-game interview with the manager because. The game hadn't been called, and he even said, he's like, well, like I know it hasn't been called yet, but just for efficiency's sake, like let's do this now. And so then the game did get called after that, but it was just, it was so odd. I think, especially because, I mean, the game was out of hand anyway. Like they didn't need to, were you really going to like wait it out and then come back and play? No. Um, so I, I think both teams were fine with just like, let's just get this out of here. And then of course, you know, the next day it was sunny and, Windy, but probably not as windy. And that game gets postponed. And the, to the millions of people who have asked me, I have no idea why or millions. what led to that. And honestly, this I feel like this has been a conversation at some point every season on like some game gets canceled or delayed that shouldn't and others get played that should. And I, it's confusing. I, I can never remember what the rule is and I've inquired about it, but like when sometimes it's MLB's decision and sometimes it's the teams and I just, whatever it is, it's like, 
I don't know. I, I got to enjoy a nice Saturday night at home. That's kind of the the conclusion I can draw. Well, um, if that was, if there was even a, a chance that that was going to happen again, don't play the game. Um, and I know when you're talking about this team hurting the way that they are pitching wise and just having enough guys to fill all the innings, when you think double header, you think, oh gosh, two of those in a row. That's brutal. And if it were the typical nine inning variety, I, yeah, that would be brutal. But I think in some ways they were almost helped that they had to play the double header. Now we'll see what ends up happening on Monday, but because you were, if it was, if those games were played normally, you would just have the nine inning game and then another nine inning game on Sunday. But the way that it worked out, you got a whole day off on Saturday. So everyone was fresh going into Sunday. Then you could have, uh, Savali threw the, he, the way that he threw in the opener good enough to only need one reliever to back him up in the seventh. And you come back the next game. You didn't have to dip into the bullpen too much there. You know, class a shows the will to win by giving up the tie and then getting the actual win. And then you come on Monday and it's not like they're really hurting for the next two, seven inning games that they need to play. So I, I don't know, hot take here, but I think the, the doubleheader might have actually helped them manage the pitching staff. Yeah, and there's a humongous difference between having to get through 14 innings and having to get through 18, right? Like the seven-inning game, the, the, that rule makes it so much more tolerable. And they're carrying a billion pitchers right now anyway. I, they really are just – they just want to get through Wednesday and then reassess, I think. I think you'll see some roster moves um, prior to that Baltimore series. If not, I – very confused because they can totally reset their rotation however they want. And they're not going to need a, I think a fifth starter until like the middle of June. So things are, if they can just survive the next few days, that's why I think this eking out that win in, in game two was just enormous. Cause you know, they, otherwise you're, you get swept by the blue Jays. You, you've lost three in a row. The white Sox are really tough. You're going to play four more games in three and not just in three days, but you've got a day game Wednesday too. So it's like four games in, 72 hours or you could say six games in 90 hours it's pretty crazy but but yeah when you can when you only have to cover the 14 innings that makes it a lot easier and then especially with Savali I mean Savali has just chewed up innings all season so that helped and they should be in decent shape all things considered for the doubleheader Monday and then you get Bieber on Tuesday and you you, you should have a fresh bullpen in support of Eli Morgan Wednesday, and then you can just take a deep breath and, and assess where you're at. Yeah, Savali might have gone all seven, and the line looks a lot better if the defense just doesn't abandon him in the first three innings of game Yikes. one. That was that was rough. All right, speaking of guys that are older, really old, I really want a random Indian of the day. Do you have one? I do have one for you. Um, this gentleman pitched for the Indians in 2001. His middle name is Anthony. <laughs> no. No. That's not helping. Okay. He appeared in 53 games that season. So he was pretty, pretty, uh, uh, what's the word? I, mean, I wouldn't say vital, but pr- he, he was had a pretty involved role. He had a 415 ERA. In all, he pitched 13 seasons in the major leagues for eight different teams. He was a ninth round draft pick by the Mets in 1984. So his year with the Indians was toward the end of his career. He was about like, I would say he, he was a, 
a 105 on the TJ age plus spectrum <laughs> during his year with the Indians. I mean, in his career, I can rifle through this drafted by the Royals, then drafted by the Mets, then traded to the Padres, then traded to the Marlins, then signed with the Cardinals, signed with the Reds, signed with the Royals, signed with the Giants, signed with the Mets, signed with the Indians, signed with the Braves, sent to the Rangers in part of a conditional trade, signed with the Angels. All that over the span of about 20 years. For his Uh, career, a 381 ERA? Well... Since there's there's no no chance I would get this, none. So let me say, was it impressive that this man went on to coach the Michigan Wolverines? Wait, yeah. Did you really just? What do you mean you're not going to get this? That's because I, I I had to, I just skipped ahead to the part where I did I say I don't know, and I had to pull it up and look for myself. Why you you cheated? That ruins the game. I'm supposed to reveal it, and it gets all dramatic. Well, I haven't revealed who it is yet, and I already told you that I don't know who it is. So Zach, yeah, long why before don't you, he was like the, <laughs> go ahead. Why don't you do the dramatic thing and reveal who it is? Well, I wasn't done giving you hints either. Oh, I was well. going to say he was two and two during his season with the Indians. He finished six games. Um, <laughs> yeah, he allowed. Yeah. He issued three intentional walks. Yeah, that would he have given it away. Walk. That would have given it away. I no, I had to look because I, I was just blanking on that team. And when you said he bounced around as much as he did, and you read off the the list of transactions for him, I I was mad that I couldn't figure out who this is. But who is it? Yeah, and he shares a name with one of the worst coaches in the history of the team up north, Rich Rodriguez. Uh, a very nice gentleman who I believe pitched in the game, who which the 20 year anniversary, yes, he did. He pitched a scoreless ninth inning on August 5th, 2001, when the Indians beat the Mariners 15 to 14. And I remember five years ago on the 15 year anniversary, I did an oral history of that game, and he had some fun insights. Uh, Rich Rodriguez. He was the second lefty that year, right? Must I assume Ricardo Rincon? Yeah. Yeah. So did you know? Wow, there was another guy with the last name Pounders. He was involved Brooks. in you know, there's this one's Brad. <laughs> he was traded by the Mets, the Padres, for Brad Pounders and Bill Stevenson. But I was gonna say, did you know he was traded by the Padres with Gary Sheffield to the Florida Marlins for Trevor Hoffman? Wow. That's a pretty good trade for both. Well, it would have been a better trade for the Marlins if they kept any of their talent. But <laughs> Sorry, that 2001 team was a mess in the middle of the season, right? I, I mean, we we have talked at length about the the comeback. We did a we did a podcast about it. And that team could hit. It wasn't quite, I mean, 99 team scored 1000 runs. This team was really really good offensively. Wasn't that good. Um, you know, Kenny Lofton was not at the peak of his powers. Uh, but they had, and like Omar Vizquel was still hitting second for some reason. Um, but you had just Jim Tomey was on another planet. Juan Gonzalez was awesome. Ellis Burks had a really good year. Marty Cordova had a really good year. Like, they could still hit. The starting pitching was a mess. 
Bartolo Colon was okay. CC Sabathia for a rookie was solid. And that was it. I mean, Burba just got lit up. Chuck Finley got lit up. Rest in peace, Tony Katan. Charles Nagy got lit up. Um, Steve Woodard, they tried. Jake Westbrook even made six starts. Ryan Drees made four starts. Tim Drew made six starts, and it was ugly. Jarrett Wright was still bouncing around, made seven starts, got crushed. But the bullpen was really freaking good. Bob Wickman, 239 ERA. Paul Shuey, 282. Rincon, 283. Danny Baez, 250. Rich Rodriguez, Steve Carsey, 125. <laughs> and then they traded Steve Reed and Steve Carsey for John Rocker. That did not go well. No, it didn't. No, who could have And my wife and I, who we have um, blitzed through every season of Survivor ever created, I think there's 40 of them during the pandemic. Uh, the one we started this week, John Rocker, is on that season. And they figured out who he is in the first episode and they know he's a terrible person. So should be interesting. We have to let us know what happens because I haven't seen a single season of Survivor, So it's all new to me. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. And thank you to those of you that help support the podcast over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast at TJ Zuppi at Zach Meisel at Selby is Godcast on Twitter as well. And Instagram also. You can find us there. Any parting words? No, I just, I appreciate all of you for listening to this podcast. The only place you can get someone who just reads off the 2001 Cleveland Indians roster. (laughs) Why do I feel like there's probably more podcasts that do that? In any case, listen to them all. Today, we're going to talk about the 1943 Brooklyn Dodgers and just read their names. The offseason is long and we'll have two episodes a week to fill by then. So who knows what crazy things we'll get into until then have a good week everybody thank you and we are out of here until the midweek episode over at patreon see ya